Hello, I'm Regina Botras and welcome backstage where we talk with theatre makers from actors, directors, writers, theatre heads and beyond. My guest, Katrina Ritalik, is an award-winning performer. She trained at the Central School of Speech and Drama in London. She has a phenomenal music career behind her, including roles like Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, Ruthless, the musical Falsettos, The Addams Family, No Way to Treat a Lady, A Little Night Music. Uh, Look, it goes on and on. She is in the recent production of Come From Away, which is coming to Sydney and playing from the 3rd of June. This is a long-awaited Tony Award-winning musical for Olivia Awards. It's best sound design, outstanding achievement. Look, there's so many awards. I'm not going to go on because we'll be here all evening. Uh, It's based on real-life events after 9-11. And, of course, this year is 20 years since that tragic event. And something like 38 planes carrying around 7,000 people were diverted to a small island in Gander, Newfoundland, which is in Canada. And this musical is based on what happened. It was Operation Yellow Ribbon. And my guest this evening is Katrina Ritalik. And she's here to talk with me about that production and her life in the theatre and beyond. Welcome to Stages, Katrina. Thank you, Regina. Lovely to be here. Thanks for coming on. So... Before we get into Come From Away, and I can't wait to talk about that, I want to get a little sense of how you came to be in the theatre in the first place. I know you've studied in London, but were you from a a creative background? Were your parents or family creative? In some ways, yes. My parents, mum and dad, were teachers, but my grandfather was a musician. He led a band. He was a Latvian man. So um, music is very strong in the Latvian culture. And uh, he led a choir, he led a brass band, he used to play the trumpet. And apparently I had a grandmother, a great grandmother, sorry, I should say, who was an opera singer. She sang in Moscow at one stage. So there is definitely music in our family, but at the moment I'm the only one to actually be a performer. <laughs> to take it further. Was it, was it So was there music kind of around the house? Do you remember those? Uh, oh, yes, very much. A lot of beautiful classical music from my grandfather and also my mum was into jazz. My dad was into country. That was not so great. We had a lot of John Denver in the house. But the musical side of, of life was very strong for me. So I, I played piano from an early age and then guitar and a bit of saxophone and, and I was always interested in singing. So I was... I was a singer from the very get-go. So how did it come from music to the stage in the, you know, theatrical hat-trick way? (laughs) Well, I guess when I was young, I grew up in Wagga Wagga and uh, there was this terrific group called the Children's Theatre Workshop run by a woman called Louise Blackett. And I used to go there on Thursday and Friday afternoons and we would put on plays and we'd put on musicals kind of like... vaudeville really Uh, and it ended up as I grew older in becoming dinner theatre so we were you know 15 16 years old performing dinner theatre in Wagga and it was hilarious of melodramas and and I always had the you know the heroine with the hand to the forehead swooning and singing (laughs) you know stormy weather when I was you know 15 years old Um, so I found that the theatre, stage and music went together from a pretty early age and I was just always very energised by it. I loved it. What a what a stumping ground to start in. What? How did you leap from Wagga Wagga to, you know, London, let's say, 
went and studied there? I took off as soon as I could to come to Sydney to go to Sydney Uni and I did a Bachelor of Arts there. So while I was doing a bit of the academic stuff here and there, I was also in the Dramatic Society. I Mm. did a whole stack of plays and then I kind of, I didn't do any musicals at that stage. I, you know, we dived into Shakespeare and we were doing Mm. Inter and we were doing um, Tennessee Williams and and I was just really uh, enraptured by by theatre just in its in its pure form and so I decided that England was it and I had yeah. to go so I packed my bags as soon as I finished my degree and um, went to London and auditioned for a few different schools but mm-hmm. I ended up at Central which was just really fantastic. So what did you learn there that you, you could not have learnt here? I guess I could have learnt everything here but the experience was so rich because we had people um well central is very well known for its voice yeah that's what i thought yeah we also had complicite people working with us you know mm. teatro di complicite which i had yeah. already fallen in love with i'd seen the street of crocodiles and and i'd also you know been exposed to some of simon mcburney's work and and so we got to see this stuff in london so i think it was just living in in london going to the national theater seeing Judy Dench on stage, um, you know, it was a really incredible beginning in terms of starting off in theatre and, and seeing what was out there. So how did you come to come back? Well, I got pretty homesick pretty mm. soon. I needed the sunshine again. I, I was told on the last last day of my course that I'd lost my sunshine. I came into <gasps> to the first day of Central with a big flower in my lapel and I was, you know, full of all of this light. And then a few years in London kind of took it out of me and I was really missing Australia. So I came back and I auditioned for David Atkins' Little Shop of Horrors and, um, yeah, I got in. So uh, that was my first big gig back here in Australia. And, in fact, I had a really great gig straight after college with um, Richard O'Brien who wrote The Rocky Horror Show, of course, and I I was in a a cabaret with him for the Edinburgh Festival and that was just incredible. Um, So that was a terrific kind of launching pad out of, college and and into the real world but then I think Australia just drew me back I just needed to come back so um, yeah it all began here again with David Atkins company and hasn't stopped since I've been incredibly lucky. Was there a particularly pivotal time for you when you made that decision to go and to push and to do what you could to, to succeed? Well I guess it was kind of like a long form trajectory rather than a moment in time where mm. I turned my back on something else and went forward. I just kept on doing what what I loved and, and I have been extremely lucky in order to do that. I don't take it for granted ever. Um, so I had the support of my parents and, you know, when I got back to Australia, I, I kind of did a, did a whole stack of different jobs, you know, hospitality and working in the wine call centre and that kind of thing. Yeah. Selling masters. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was, And I've got some of my best lifelong friends from that job and, and just kind of working out how to balance being an artist, being an actor, being a, a singer, a performer with making money, you know. And thankfully I did a whole stack of ads along the way and they would pay my rent and then I could, you know, go off and do the smaller shows and and then also when I was lucky enough to get one of the bigger shows I could stash some money away from those so 
Yeah, it it was kind of just, it, it, it feels like I have been on this path for a very long time. <laughs> so let's talk about Come From Away. I know not, it's 20 years now, almost, since 9-11. Uh, can you give us a picture of what it's like? Come From Away is based on the events of 9-11 and the five mm. days thereafter when the airspace was shut down over the United States. So there were 200 or so flights that needed to be redirected back to their port or they had to find somewhere else to land not in the United States. The domestic ones could land, but the international flights had to find somewhere else. Mm. So um, 38 planes were around the Atlantic and were crossing and were in the right kind of vicinity to land in a small town in Canada called Gander. It was It's actually an airport town. It was built around the airport, which was built uh, around World War II. Yeah. Um, to basically refuel the jets because they couldn't make it all the way across the continent without a st- without stopping off, basically. So it's this massive airport, but a very very small town of um, around nine thousand people, and they have a very rich culture. They are um, descendants of Ireland and Scotland, and um, some different extractions here and there, which kind of makes up their their music and their dialect and their you know their language basically they have some really fantastic you know regional um, languages and so 38 planes landed on the morning of 9-11 7,000 very bewildered very scared people disembarked after many many hours sitting on the on the planes Um, and basically it's the story of how the locals took these people in for five days and looked after them it's really kind of simple stuff. And um, when they, they were first thinking about making a show of, around these events, um, mm-hmm. there was a, the team, the writer, David Hine and Irene Sankoff, they were a couple, they were sent up to Canada to do some interviews on the, the, the 10th anniversary of the events. And the mayors of the town all gathered and people, you know, who had been through those events were interviewed by D- David and Irene. They mm. they were kind of a bit nonplussed by the whole idea of making a show. They just went, well, we just made sandwiches, you know, is that what you want to make a show? <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 and they... They're, they're very practical people. They're very kind of well modest, I suppose, and, and they just get on with things. Down to so, earth, yeah. Down to earth, exactly. So they really didn't think it was such a big deal, but lifelong friendships were made over those five days. And, mm-hmm. you you know, we there were a lot of us adults who went through those, those times and it was tumultuous and people made big decisions. So the character that I play... Mm. We all play multiple characters, but we have dominant characters throughout the piece. She met the man who is now her husband. So I'm fortunate enough to have a love story throughout Mm. the show. And uh, it's all true. You know, it's just there are a whole stack of different streams of storytelling. Uh, They basically interviewed 7,000 people and and distilled it into almost two hours of of storytelling in a kind of a documentary style with beautiful music woven through and we get to play the gander locals we get to play the come from awayers who are the people off the plains and we just kind of invite you in as the audience to to hear this story to experience this story as we as we tell it it's a it's a moment in time that we all remember where we were when it happened or when you first heard 
Yeah. And it sounds like the community gathered together and brought people in and you're, you, you're part of a love story. Does it also go into that darker side of what happened as well? It does, you know, and there were um, a few Muslim people on flights and they were um, taken into security. They were subjected to very intense body Jeez. searches. Um, so there are a lot of uncomfortable moments that I, I think the writers have a good balance because mm. it's not all light and sunshine. There are some really ugly moments and and I think it's not about stepping away from that. It's about reflecting on how the world changed from that point but also how we can do better, you know. So, yeah, it, it's it's got a good amount of grit and gravitas and truth to it and obviously like you say there are people from muslim backgrounds and all kinds of zone is it a kind of like a slice of life as well are this sort of diverse eclectic kind of people yeah very much and it's fascinating to listen to the soundtrack as well because we've got some really beautiful instruments we've got an urdu drum we've got a few clay pot drums that when the Muslim character is speaking, you'll hear the clay pot being played. We've got some pipes. We've got um, some beautiful wind instruments. The music and the characterizations have been woven together really, really beautifully. Very, very smart choices. But yeah, it is very much a slice of life. We each play about five or six characters. So there are a lot of different storylines being represented. So uh, you almost went into an American accent there. <laughs> Is that what I got? Perhaps, yeah. <laughs> Whenever I talk about my character, Diane, she's a Texan lady. So. Oh, great. <laughs> I was going to that dialect when I can. <laughs> the accent coaching was fantastic. We've got a, a top-notch accent coach, Joel Goldies. He works out of L.A. and he zooms in with us quite frequently, actually, to brush us up on our accent because you know, we've got stacks of international accents and we also have to do justice to the Gander Newfoundland accent, which is very tricky. What is that? Is it, it's not French then. Like you, I always think of that sort of side as French, but no. It's a, a mixture of Irish, Canadian, American. <laughs> it's a real hybrid. But we have had Newfoundland locals in the audience and we've had some pretty good feedback i always find accents really like i can never do any accents what is your trick do you have a trick to kind of keep it and not have it slide look i don't know that there's a trick i think it's just a proper rehearsal period if you're a musical person then you have a musical ear then you can hear the musicality of different accents i think that helps because oh. um, yeah there there are different kind of melodies really that are dominant in different accents and different placements as well so when you work as a singer <laughs> yeah. you learn about different placements in your face basically there are different areas to engage so there will be more of a, a rounded accent or, you know, there are just different mm. ways of playing with how you produce sound. And I find that really fascinating. So yeah. it's kind of an area that I'm thinking I might almost go into. Like uh, if I ever have to hang out the, like, the acting straps, I, might, <laughs> I can become a vocal coach myself because it's really fascinating stuff. It is. It is. It's something I cannot do, like I said. So you talked about the Odu drama, that kind of side. Does it also go into the songs having a, a diversity like you say Texan and then is it country is there country and western mixed with Middle Eastern or like how is the 
that world? Yeah, um, it's it's a really beautiful score. For the most part, we are moving the story forward all the time. There, There is only one complete song in the whole show and mm. that is sung by Zoe Gertz. It's the story of Beverly Bass, the, um, the first female pilot for American Airlines. She became, she, ha- she had that um, job title in, in the 80s, 86, I think. Um, and so we get her full story in one song, which Zoe delivers brilliantly every single show. She's incredible. Um, but for the most part, the, the, the score is basically part of the narration. So you're going to get, you know, 28 hours sitting on a plane and, and we, we are singing through the experience of, of that or um, uh, there's a fantastic number called Screech. The the um, Newfoundlanders have a great initiation rite where you, you sit down and drink some really bad rum and then you kiss a fish and you <laughs> wear, wear the hat on and, and it's a big old party. And so we, we actually perform that every single night, which is great fun and it gives, you know, a really great local flavour to the show, the music, it's kind of like walking into a pub in Ireland. If you've been backpacking yes, through Ireland, yes. you just open a door and there's all of this incredible music and it just feels like you've been just immersed in their culture and in, in their history. And And I think that's a really, um, it's a really beautiful thing about this show is that the music doesn't feel extraneous. It feels really essential to the people and how they express themselves and how they have a great time. and. And so, yeah, it's it's a bit of narration, documentary. It's a bit of, you know, culture. Do you learn from every show that you've been? Like you just told me some initiation process in, in Newfoundland. Like is it like that? Is it like, oh, wow, I'm, you know, there's a constant learning from the world? Yeah, for sure. And if you are asked to research something that you'd never you know, known before, then definitely you, you pick up things along the way. I mean, I just mentioned to you earlier that I have a very small role in a beautiful film called June Again, and I run a ward in a dementia uh, clinic, and it's 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 mostly Noni Hazelhurst's story of being an older woman in a dementia ward, and so I had the privilege of visiting a dementia ward and meeting with the residents. And so you do research as you go in order to learn about whatever you are working on. So, yeah, you do. You're definitely always learning. Um, that's, that's a nice thing about the job, really. Look, I can't wait to see June again as well. But in the meantime, I'll get to see Come From Away from the 3rd of June. Katrina Vitalik, thank you so much. Absolute pleasure. And I'm so excited for Sydney Siders to see this. I think just uh, having something beautiful and nourishing, is it's really good for us. I think we've had people walk away with, you know, tears streaming down their faces just saying, thank you, thank you. I feel so much better about the world right now. So, you know, it's, it's a, a bit of a gift to be a part of. And that was Katrina Vitalik from Come From Away, which is playing, as I said, at the Capitol Theatre in Sydney. 